0: morning church Uh, it was nice to see some of you on uh, zoom on tuesday night and on thursday night as well Uh, just joining us in prayer as well as in worship Uh, fun to see a lot of you Uh, we are going to be closing our time in lamentations this morning and uh, moving on to a palm sunday message next week and then easter so Uh, Looking in Lamentations 5, hopefully you're continuing to read along with us. Uh, I know that it can be repetitive, uh, but hopefully meaningful at the same time. I want to share a story with you. Uh, My nine-year-old just uh, started skateboarding not too long ago, and so a lot of her uh, learning has been through YouTube uh, because of this distancing that we're practicing. And so several weeks ago, uh, she had a pretty bad fall where she scraped her knee up pretty, pretty badly. Uh, but she's tough and she insisted on taking care of herself. So she, uh, she was like, Dad, what do I do? She's bleeding and things like that. I was like, well, you gotta go wash, wash that off. So go in the bathtub and clean it with soap and water. And I can tell that she was hurt and then she just didn't want me to touch it or anything. And she said, I'll do it myself, I'll do it myself. And then dried it off and went over to the band-aid kit that we have and there's, so there's an assortment of band-aids and she grabbed the regular shaped ones because that's what she's used to grabbing and I said like, oh that's gonna be way too small honey like your your wound is way bigger than that you need a you need a band-aid that fits you know the white part onto your wound and so she got that one out and uh, so told her to put some Neosporin on it first and then put that over and so she did next day she changes the band-aid or she wants to change the band She needs to change the band-aid. And uh, she comes crying because she says she tries pulling it off, but it really hurts. And so I tell her there's usually two schools of thought over this band-aid stuff. So either you grab it and you just rip it off just really quickly. And you take it off. And I could see the shock in her face like, no way. And the other one is you do it slowly. And so you just kind of do it corner by corner, side by side, and you just kind of work your way up until you, you can get it out. And so she chose the slower route. And so for the next hour or two, she's just working on getting that ad- adhesive, and she's just kind of like rolling the Band-Aid back and trying to get it over. And then after a couple hours, she's like, Dad, I'm done. And so I go, and she looks happy, but at the same time, she looks very, very worried because there's this part that stuck on the wound, like, uh, I was like, oh, that's not good. And so it's just stuck there, and so she's starting to get worried, and I was like, don't worry, there's a little trick. So I turned the bath on. I was like, just take a long, warm bath, and then hopefully this is going to just fall off, or your scab is going to get soft enough to where, like, it'll come off easier. Well, she takes this bath for a while, and then, She's been in there for a while. She's, she's all knee by now, and I can see she's coming out, and she's drying herself, but the Band-Aid is still stuck on her knee, and so I can see this panic coming over her as she's drying herself off. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? This thing's stuck on me. And then she just accidentally, like, rubs her knee with the towel, and then the whole thing came off. Now, why do I even share this story with you? It's because uh, this is how Lamentations is. It's a a slow pull of the band-aid. It's definitely not a rip. So we've been looking at five chapters and in this last chapter, chapter five, we're talking about this misery again. And so like that corner by corner and that side by side band-aid, rolling it back, what could be done in just seconds took my brave nine-year-old hours, including that bath. And so sometimes things take time and sometimes there's a longer time that is necessary to grieve. And so we see that Lamentations is a necessary book, that Lament is a necessary practice. It's 587 B.C., and Judah is completely destroyed. Not just the city, but people's lives. And so the author is purposefully giving us details of this really horrific time, telling us that that grief isn't just over when someone prescribes a time for us. Some people might get really frustrated at the Book of Lamentations because it just seems too repetitive And in reading this during Lent over and over again, it does seem to be repetitive. And sometimes we may get frustrated with people who grieve longer than we're comfortable with. And we want them to so-called get over it already. But that repetition, the continued grieving, is necessary for some. And then we wonder why people can't be like in the Psalms, where, yes, there's a lament and there's a grief in Psalms, but there's, they're also relatively short in comparison to this entire book of Lamentations of five chapters that repeats itself. And then within the Psalms, there are happier, more joyful Psalms, and in Lamentations, there's, there's none of that. So let's take a look at Lamentations chapter five, because we're going to notice There are some differences right away that stylistically chapter 5 is different. Yes, it has 22 verses, but you'll notice that if you look at it in, in Hebrew, that it's not following that alphabetical acrostic anymore. It's not going through those 22 letters and having a respective letter corresponding with the verse. You'll also notice that these verses are shorter in this chapter than in previous verses. And the author is is purposefully changing things up as to signal to us that things are coming to an end, that he's going to be closing his writing for us. And he records for us what is actually a prayer. It's not quite as long as the one we found in Lamentations 3, but it is a prayer. And after that prayer in chapter 3, we took a look at chapter 4 last week. And in that chapter, you'll notice these plural pronouns like our our. When the writer records for us the misery again, he's using our there. And when we get to chapter 5, he enters this prayer again, like in the end of chapter 3. So the author isn't pulling us into the misery. You'll notice that he's actually pulling God into our misery. There's a huge difference in pulling people into our misery versus pulling God into Into our misery. And so this is a prayer, and we're actually just spectators on the outside looking at this prayer of Him pulling God into our misery. And so here's the important takeaway from this chapter that God's people reveal themselves to be truly God's people. When they keep praying, even though their life is destroyed, even though their life is devastated, even though they're going through a time of Suffering, that God's people reveal who they really are as God's people when they keep praying through those difficult times. And let's see how this is done in Lamentations 5. First, notice the petition, this prayer of petition in verses 1 through 18. Verse 1 first here Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. That phrase, look and see, is a pretty familiar prayer for us by now. We've read this several times during this time of Lent in chapters 1 and 2, and it's it's a focus of our prayer this Lenten season as we find this theme multiple times in the book for, for the Lord to look and see. Chapter 1, verse 9, O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Verse 11, look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Verse 12, look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow. Verse 20, look, O Lord, for I am in distress. Chapter 2, verse 20, look, O Lord, and see. And then here in chapter 5, verse 1, remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. So what does the writer want the Lord to see? Well, he wants God to see the conditions they were living in in verses 2 through 10. Let's start in verses 2 and 3. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. And so they've lost everything. They've lost their homes. They've lost all their assets. Their their homes, which have been with their families for generations, has just been taken, stolen from them. And they've lost so many loved ones. Verse 4, we must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. What used to be a basic for life, a basic for survival, they weren't provided anymore. Now there was this Charge for these basic necessities like water and wood, but now uh, there was no charge before, there was no fee for those things before. But now, under this Babylonian rule, even those really, really basic needs are being charged for. Our pursuers are at our necks, we are weary, we're given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get. Bread enough. Our our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. There's no let-up from the Babylonians. These are completely beat-up people who aren't given any breaks. And even though they work so hard, non-stop, they aren't given enough nourishment to keep up. And there's no one to help them. Egypt is to the south, Assyria is to the north... The Mediterranean is to the west. The Babylonians are to the east. East and west are out. But then so is the north, Assyria, and so is the south, Egypt. There's no help from anyone. So you sense this sense of desperation. That there isn't enough food. There's no help coming from anywhere. And when they do get food, or when they try to get food outside of this, read verses 9 and 10 here. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. So if they go search for food, they put their lives at risk. You go outside to try to fish or hunt or harvest something, and there are others out there who are going to kill them. So you stay, you starve. You go out, try to get food, you get killed. Most of them stayed. They suffered through this Babylonian imposed famine. And so look, Lord, and and see this misery of ours. Look at this horrible condition of our life, these awful conditions. And then the author also wants the Lord to see the people and what is happening to them in verses 11 through 18. Verse 11 Women are raped in Zion. Young women in the towns of Judah. These are the horrific things that happen in war. That evil, that cruelty, that darkness that is in the heart of men destroying women. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. So they look for anyone that they could disrespect, dishonor, disgrace, who held some sort of authority or power, jurisdiction, and they were killed, and then they were hung up for everyone to see that those people were indeed powerless, and they held all the power. And these were really, really brutal people who looked to intimidate and torment their captives. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under the loads of wood. And so these guys were made to do what animals were made to do. This was forced labor, and so all these people dehumanize. They rob them of their humanity. Verse 14, The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts have ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it? Do you sense it? The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our eyes have grown dim. Mount Zion, this is where the temple was. This is where they worship God. It lies desolate. Everything is destroyed. Where they put their hope, where they put their faith, what centered their spirituality was that temple in Mount Zion and now that's even destroyed and and he paints a picture for us that these jackals scavengers are prowling there why? because there are these dead bodies lying on the floor and they are feasting on the corpses and so this place of sacrifice, prayer, worship is gone, this was a holy place, not anymore Look and see, O Lord, the conditions that we're living in, the, the, the people, how we're living, how we're feeling. Look at your place of worship. And this is what the author wants God to see. And the author knows that the Lord sees. How do we know this? Because the author knows the scriptures and knows Exodus chapter 3 verse 7 where it reads, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Do you realize that we serve a God who sees Do we understand that God sees us? That our God sees our conditions? He sees us. He also sees the church. Now, do we see what the Lord sees? And I think if we really did, it would be horrifying. Last week I asked us to put down our personal laments and I've been doing that more lately, just asking the Lord to see our conditions. Asking the Lord to see people, people that I know who are losing jobs or who aren't getting educated because they are in a different school district that does not provide the distance learning and so these kids are getting behind people I know that are reliant for their school lunches and they aren't getting that food to see those people to see the condition of the church and the more that I'm recording these things I'm finding a heart of gratitude towards the Lord because I need to thank him for his patience with us I need to thank God for his long suffering and so I thank God that he is over time and that he's not in a hurry. In reading the entire Bible, have you ever read of Jesus running? He's usually walking. And next week we're going to read him riding on a donkey, but Jesus is never in a hurry. You never read in the scriptures that And then he hurried over to Lazarus' tomb. God is never in a hurry. Because God is always in control. There is no hurry. The conditions don't worry him. We, his people, don't worry him. The church does not worry him. It breaks his heart. It breaks his heart. But he's not anxious about it. He's not worried about it. He sees it all, and and time is in submission to him. He has all the time in the world to listen to our prayers. To look and see. So we have 18 verses of prayer here where he lists for 18 verses the things that he wants the Lord to. To see, and he lays it out for God to see the conditions, the people that we care about, and he lays it all out. God's people reveal themselves to be truly God's people when they keep praying, they keep praying, even though their life is destroyed, it's devastated. They're going through immense suffering. That's what these people were going through in 587 B.C. And you notice, they just can't leave God alone. They have to keep telling God, look and see, look at us. And they keep praying. True people of God pray. And after all that suffering, that they've endured for many generations. This isn't the first time. You go back to Exodus with the Egyptians and they're still pleading with God here. And you notice that they keep going back to God. That's what we need to do. We need to keep going back to God. Especially in tough times. Even when things seem disastrous. Because he's the only one who can help. And during our difficult times, like it is for many right now, when we turn to God, pray to God, is the time that we are reassured to know that we actually truly belong to God. Because who do you turn to when your times are darkest? That's who you really rely on. Lamentations 5 shows that the writer is truly a person of God. Who are we going to show ourselves to be during those dark times? Like today. Like perhaps in a month or two. Who will, will we turn to? Will we turn to God even when it's god who may be disciplining us, I don't know if that's the case or not, but he may be, do we believe Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 26, where it reads, Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days, in the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow." It's the petition that we bring to the Lord to look and see. The prayer time, especially in dark times, reassuring us that we indeed belong to the Lord. So there's the petition, and then in verses 19 through 22, it points to hope. There's a logic, a reasoning here as to why the author has hope in these last verses. Let's read them. Verse 19, But you, O Lord reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. We have hope because God is sovereign. The destruction of Zion, the temple, does not change who God is, that he's still on his throne. He rules over everything. Our conditions, our circumstances, don't change who God is. The people who were defeated, who were God's people, don't change who God is. There's a stability, there's a security, knowing God is sovereign and he cannot be removed from his throne. Even when everything looks disastrous, he still reigns even when Zion is full of jackals. Even when the church does not look that great, God is in control. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old. Restoration is God's handiwork. God does this so well, and the writer knows this. Even though he knows this, he's not shifting any blame at all. I mean, look at verse 16. It says, for we have sinned. He's acknowledging that, that what has happened was a result of their own sin. He's not denying responsibility and asking for the restoration. He, he knows restoration is in, completely in God's hand, that we're so weak, we're so sinful, and any work of restoration needs to be a work of God. It doesn't change That repentance is our responsibility, though. Now, there is a gift of repentance in that God enables us to repent. And the purpose of repentance is not to restore things back to what they used to be. So, God, I lost my job. Now, please give me back my job. Lord, I lost my house. So now give me back my house. Lord, just make things the way that they used to be. You notice that the prayer in what is asked for is in restoration, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old. Restore the fellowship with you, Lord. That's the ultimate work of restoration, and and this is a, a work of God. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Starting in verse 22, it reads, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. It says, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Meaning, Because you have been born again, you're able to love one another earnestly. We have new love because God has given us new life. That God did that first. We didn't love first and then get born again. We are born again, which then leads us to love. And so, this is how it is with restoration with God. He restores. He gives the gift of repentance. And we have hope because He who is sovereign first loved us. Verses 21, let's read that again, and then 22. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us, and you remain exceedingly angry with us. The writer raises something to be considered in verse 22 with this word, unless. Unless. Unless you have utterly rejected us. And he's knowingly writing this because he knows that this is an impossibility with God. That the utter rejection would contradict God being the God of restoration. And so the writer is bringing up this suggestive argument. So, in other words, he's saying, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored unless you didn't mean it when you said that you're our God. And so this one is an indirect argument. And people have argued with the Lord all the time. I mean, you probably have argued with the Lord. And Moses did this. Moses has a, has a direct argument with God when he intercedes for the people. And this is a direct argument. Numbers chapter 14, starting in verse 13. Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them. He's he's arguing with God about why he, he, he shouldn't smite these people. Verse 14. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land, they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud. By day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that He swore to give to them that He has killed them in the wilderness. A direct argument between Moses and God. But here in Lamentations 5, it's indirect. Now, we know that God can't be tempted by evil. That's what James chapter 1, verse 13 tells us. But the writer of Lamentations is presenting God not with evil. He's presenting God with remembering God's promises, his faithfulness, assurances, commitments, character, covenants, And this is what the author is presenting to God with the word unless. Unless you didn't mean what you said God when you said, I am the Lord, your God. Then you won't restore us, right? And so for us to look at ourselves and think about, you know, I I call myself a believer, but I'm not very hopeful And I'm not saying that we can even judge you because we don't even know what you're going through or what's going on in your family or your circumstances. But I want to point you towards hope in that if you find yourself praying, even though you feel hopeless, you do indeed have hope. You're showing that you're truly a believer because you're continuing to pray even though it's a very dark time for you. And you look at these broken people in 587 B.C. under Babylonian captivity who are experiencing great suffering. They keep praying. They know that they have a sovereign Lord. A God who restores and refuses to let go of his people. I pray that we lament well during our times of misery. I hope we continue to pray and invite the Lord to look and see our helplessness our weakness our suffering the problems our grief our temptations as we prepare our hearts for Easter let's pray Oh Lord, we ask that you would look and see the conditions of our world. A time when some are still so confident in themselves, so confident in what we can do as people. Lord, I pray for a spirit of humility. Lord I ask you to look and see the people who are suffering from what's going on in our world those who have lost loved ones those who have loved ones on ventilators those who are just uncertain about their future look and see Lord, look and see the condition of your church. We know that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, you're sovereign. Our hope is in you. We continue to pray. Even during difficult times. to reveal who we truly are as being your children. Lord, please fill us with your Spirit to be able to exercise patience using this time to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I've received calls and texts, emails, um, about what the church is doing to help people and how those funds can be given to the church. Just wanna inform everyone that everything online and how you've been giving in the past is still functioning. And uh, we have been able to help several people um, through these funds. Um, Wanna update you on the Amani choir. They do have enough food, Um, that we did help provide for them. And uh, they are at a church and Angels Camp now, at a house on a church property. They have a lot more acreage to play on up there, and um, the kids are doing fine, and everyone is healthy. Uh, So I just wanted to give you a reminder about that, that the giving is still available, and you can just use the regular means that we've been using in the past. Um, Also, if you are wanting, needing prayer, Uh, Our prayer at regenerationweb.com is also still working. Staff and elders do pray for that weekly. And uh, you can join us on Tuesday nights for prayer. And then lastly, for communion, please don't let this stop you from celebrating this sacred sacrament at home with whoever you live with there, your family, your roommates, uh, to continue to break bread in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us that we continue to as we await his return.